Welcome to Your Torah, a 36-week journey into the world of the 63 books of the Mishnah, 18 minutes at a time. A project of Jofa UK, designed as a special invitation to engage in Torah and make it yours. If you'd like to sponsor or dedicate an episode of Your Torah, please get in touch via our website, which can be found at ukjofa.org. Hi everyone, my name is Shira Eliasian. I'm editor of Jofa's blog and a full-time graduate student at University of Chicago's Divinity School. Many of you know me from my ads on the Joy of Text, Jofa's podcast on Judaism and sexuality, and hopefully from my first episode of Your Torah on Masachat Nazir. If you're interested in hearing about my relationship with studying Mishnah and why I think the rabbis were proto-feminists, check out my episode. It's on the Your Torah website, classified under Seder Nashim, The Order of Women. Today, I'm going to be introducing a tractate that is correctly dubbed Midot, Measurements because it is filled almost entirely with lengths, widths, and other numerical values. But these aren't just any measurements. They're the measurements of the Beit HaMikdash, the Holy Temple, the place which was the focal point of Jewish life for centuries before its destruction in 70 CE. I know this is a masachat that can feel quite dull for many of us, but I'm interested in using this episode to understand the epistemological concerns that underlie the translation of visual material into written text and exploring how that process has been critical to shaping the diasporic Jewish community and how we responded to our own exile. In my first quarter at Divinity School, I took a class on Christian, Muslim, and Jewish art from the Holy Land in the Middle Ages. The course surveyed a wide range of places, objects, and ideas, from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and the Dome of the Rock, to the mosaic floors of synagogues from the Second Temple period. In the absence of extant buildings or objects, we often study first-hand accounts from pilgrims, maps, diagrams, and liturgical and legal texts that described what these places once looked like. What became clear to us as we studied these materials was that pilgrimage accounts or Jewish legal texts have been important not only for art historians who try to create visual replicas, but they served religious functions for people who have lost access to their holy sites, whether that be because of exile, destruction, or simply because of distances that were untraversable in the ancient and medieval world. Tractate Midot is paradigmatic of how a text can be used to revisit a physical site that we've lost. However, the challenge of studying it is trying to turn lists of lengths, widths, gates, and chambers into a place we can psychologically inhabit. This is going to be especially challenging for me, as I imagine you're listening to this episode while riding the subway, driving to work, or washing dishes. I'm going to be attempting to use auditory material to give you a visual experience. In the description of this episode, I've included a number of useful links for pictures and diagrams that help make this material comprehensible and give you a sense of what the Beit HaMikdash may have looked like. But I'm going to be working under the assumption that you're not looking at diagrams right now. If you're interested in studying Midot yourself, I highly recommend Art Scroll's Mishnah series. They include many useful diagrams alongside the text and an additional pamphlet with a detailed layout of the temple that's been spread out next to my laptop and Mishnayot the entire time I've been working on this episode. Before delving into a chapter breakdown, I'm going to give an overview of the basic layout of the temple. Later, once we've reviewed the dimensions in the five chapters of Midot, I'll return to the important role this legal text and its diagrams have played in diasporic Jewish thought. I know that despite my efforts, some of your ears are going to glaze over as soon as I start talking about numbers, so I'll give this much away right now to give you some incentive not to pause or exit this episode altogether. 
Masachat Midot has participated in the monumental process of preserving the Beit HaMikdash through collective Jewish memory, despite its destruction in 70 CE. The very fact that we can conjure a specific image replete with sounds, sights, and smells when we think of the Beit HaMikdash is not simply because we know our own history. It's because Judaism has innovated the possibility for us to continue visiting this site through the study of rabbinic texts and the recitation of liturgical material. I now ask that you use your imagination to engage with the material I'm about to share, much like the rabbis did when they composed Midot two millennia ago. When we talk about the dimensions of the Beit HaMikdash, we have to make three basic distinctions. First and foremost, there's a space that's called Harabait, the Temple Mount. This was a large square platform measuring 500 amot cubits by 500 cubits. If we estimate a cubit to be about a foot and a half, then the total area of Harabait was 562,500 square feet. To give you a sense of what that means, the Temple Mount equaled the size of 10 football fields. Within this massive square, imagine a rectangle surrounded by its own walls. Now flip it so that it's lying horizontally rather than vertically. If you're imagining it at the center of the square, you'll have to push it up a few paces and over to the left so that it's primarily occupying the northwestern corner of the square. This rectangular space is called the Azara, the courtyard. It made up about a fifth of Harbait and was sectioned into an area for women, for men, and Kohanim and Libyam. When one would enter the Azara from its gates on the east side, you would find yourself in the women's courtyard. Men could continue walking west and climb up a series of steps until they entered into the inner courtyard. The first section of the inner courtyard was called Ezra Israel, the courtyard of the Israelites. If you were bringing a personal sacrifice, you would continue walking and climb another series of steps and enter the Ezra Kohanim, the courtyard of the priests. This portion of the temple likely resembled a slaughterhouse. It included tables where animals were ritually slaughtered and the Mizbeach, the altar upon which these animals were burned. Finally, if you were a Kohen and permitted to continue walking west, you would find yourself standing in front of a massive building 150 feet tall. This building is what houses the Heichal and the Kodesh HaKadashim, the Holy of Holies. It holds major ritual implements such as the menorah, the ark, and the Mizbeach HaZahav, the golden altar upon which incense were burned. Although the word Heichal refers to a specific interior section of the building, the term is often used for the building in its entirety. When we refer to the Beit HaMikdash, we could be talking about any one of these three spaces. The large square platform called Harabait, the rectangular Azara where people could enter and offer up personal sacrifices, or the Heichal which housed the holiest of rituals and implements. Most of the time, though, we're either talking about the Heichal or the Heichal and the Azara, where public rituals took place. If you're wondering, when you're at the Kotel, you're standing in front of the western wall that supported the platform of Harbait. Remember that the Azara and the Heichal were in the northwestern corner. It seems from excavations that the Kotel is further to the south of where the Azara stood. So at the Kotel, you wouldn't be standing directly in front of where the Azara was, but you're standing along the wall that was closest to the holiest parts of the temple, the Heichal and the Kodesh HaKadashim. Let's now turn to how these dimensions are organized within the chapters of Midot itself. The first chapter opens with a list of designated areas where Kohanim and Levian would stand guard around the temple. The list includes a total of 24 guard stations, including gates to Harabait and the Azara and other important structures built around the Azara. In describing these locations, the Mishnah introduces us to the basic structural features of the temple. This initial architectural overview is immediately followed by details about how the watch was carried out. 
the officer of the temple would make rounds, and if it was apparent to him that a guard was sleeping, he would light his robes on fire and wake him up, and also probably condition him never to fall asleep while on duty again. These first two Mishnayot set up a pattern that's repeated throughout the Mishnah. Although the Mishnah is primarily concerned with space and dimensions, in each chapter is stories told or rituals described. These insertions help us bear in mind not only what this space looked like, but how it functioned and how people interacted with it. The second half of the chapter details the Beit HaMokad, the Hall of Fire. This was a four-chambered structure with a domed roof that was built either next to or within the Azara. Chapter 2 discusses the dimensions of Harabait and the Chayel Sureg and walls which surrounded it. It also gives us the dimensions of the Ezrat Nashim and the inner Azara. It's important to note that the Ezrat Nashim made up roughly half of the Azara, and it included important chambers that were used for things such as Nizirim or Mitzoraim, people afflicted with skin conditions. The only reason why this section was named after women was likely because it was the section where they could actually stand. If you remember from my overview of Harabite, I asked you to place the Azara in the northwestern corner of the square. This was based on the first Mishnah of chapter 2, which has an interesting way of communicating this information. Harabite hayach al The Temple Mount was 500 cubits by 500 cubits. Rubo min hadarom, sheni min hamizrach, shlishi min atzafon, miuto min hamaarav. The largest portion was in the south, the second largest portion in the east, the third in the north, and the least portion was in the west. The portion that had the largest dimensions was used the most. If you're like me, you might have thought that when the mission says the majority was in the southeast, that this means that the Azara was in the southeast. But the text actually means that the majority of the space that was not taken up by the Azara was in the southeast. The Mishnah doesn't tell us what happened in this space, but we know that it wasn't simply empty. If you didn't catch this from my reading, the text also has an interesting way of indicating that the Azara was positioned horizontally. By saying that the largest space was in the south, we're meant to understand that the rectangle of the Azara did not extend into the south. If it were laid vertically rather than horizontally, then the largest empty space actually would have been in the east rather than in the south. I take the time to flesh out this small section because I think it demonstrates some of the key challenges of translating image to text. It's not only a question of where things line up in relation to one another, but what kind of language the rabbis had available to them to describe space and what their basic assumptions were about how their audience would understand that information. Chapter 3 continues the movement towards the Heichal, both spatially and in terms of holiness. We move from Harabait and the Ezrat Nashim, where access was minimally limited, to the Ezrat Kohanim, where one could only enter if bringing a personal sacrifice. The chapter opens with the dimensions and the construction of the Mizbeach, the altar, and the ramp which was used to climb to the top of the Mizbeach. The Mizbeach is the only ritual implement whose dimensions are discussed in depth in Midot. This may be because the Mizbeach was so large that it was actually an architectural feature of the temple. It was 32 cubits by 32 cubits. That's roughly the size of a modest three-story apartment building. The chapter ends with the reader situated in front of the antechamber of the Heichal building. The Mishnah describes the antechamber's 40-cubit-high entryway and how it was decorated overhead with tiered beams. With chapter 4, we finally enter the Heichal itself. We begin with its unique set of four doors, one set of double doors followed by another set of double doors. This created a second mini antechamber that preceded the holy space of the Heichal. 
The Mishnah then describes how 38 rooms were built within the walls of the Heichal building, detailing both the architectonic and the decorative features of this construction. The Mishnah does not include a discussion of any of the ritual implements in this section of the temple. Chapter 5, the final section of Midot, zooms back out to review the spatial relationships between different parts of the temple and the implements contained within it. It also details a few chambers in the Azerah that had not yet been discussed. As our discussion of Midot comes to a close, I'd like to take a moment to reflect on why the rabbis included a masachat filled with nothing but measurements in the Mishnah. The simplest answer might be that they believed that these laws were an important area of halakha. Even if it would be centuries before the temple was rebuilt, these laws needed to be preserved in some form. Of course, we shouldn't take this thought for granted. That the rabbis who witnessed the destruction of the temple believed it would be rebuilt, and that they wanted to be prepared for that day whenever it would come, demonstrates an indestructible faith in the future redemption. That hope and optimism has been passed down to us from generation to generation and still animates our messianic dreams of the future. But I'd like to suggest, as I hinted towards the start of this episode, that Masafat Midot is not only a product of a steadfast orientation towards our future, but it's a tractate that enshrines our memories of the past. In studying the lengths, the widths, the heights, and the distances of the Beit HaMikdash, the building comes alive for us in a way that is tangible. The act of studying the laws of the temple allows us to transcend our present moment and inhabit the holy site that anchored Jewish life for hundreds of years. The Beit HaMikdash is not just a piece of our history that simply sits on the page amidst the dust of its own ashes. It's a place that's been kept alive through collective Jewish memory. This memory has been preserved not only through legal discussions found in the Mishnah and the Talmud, but through Mitrashim, Piyutim, and our liturgy. Just think of the Avoda portion of the Yom Kippur service and how much time we spend reimagining the complex rituals carried out by the high priest. I venture to say that studying Masachat Midot is not only a means of tracing our past or imagining our future. It serves as a psychological surrogate for making our pilgrimage to the Beit HaMikdash. This sentiment is expressed by the rabbis themselves in Midrash Tanchuma on Parshat Zab, chapter 14. I'd like to end with the conversation that is narrated between God and Yechezkel while the people are in exile. When God showed Yechezkel the shape of the temple, he told him to describe the temple to the people so that they would feel shame for their sins and study the measurements of the temple. Yechazkel responds to God, We're still in exile in a land that hates us, and you're telling me to teach the people the shape of the temple? Are they even able to do any of these things right now? Leave it until we return from exile, and then I'll go and tell them. God responds, just because my people are in exile, should the building of my house become irrelevant? Amar 
ובשכר קריאתה שהתעסקו לקרות בה, אני מעלה עליהם כאילו הם עוסקים בבניין הבית. God continues, It's greater to study the laws of the temple than it is to build the temple. Go tell them to immerse themselves in studying the shape of the temple. As a reward for their studying its laws, I will account it for them as if they were indeed building the temple. May our learning today account for us as if we have engaged in rebuilding the temple. And may that merit bring us closer to the construction of the third Beit HaMikdash Bimhera Biaminu. This episode of Your Torah is brought to you by Jofa UK, in collaboration with women from around the world who all share a passion for Torah study. If you are enjoying Your Torah, consider sponsoring an episode. Find out more by visiting ukjofa.org. Join the conversation on social media using the hashtag YourTorah.